The Bible. It's the Word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword. This sacred book is living and active and contains all that's needed for life and godliness. Stay with American Family Radio for the next hour as we study God's Word and take your Bible questions. Welcome to Exploring the Word. Well, the entire book of Acts is really full of action, the acts of the apostles, really the acts of the Holy Spirit. And the, the whole book, I think, is full of exciting scenarios from Peter preaching at Pentecost, igniting the church age to the salvation of the apostle Paul, and all of his uh, comings and goings in front of religious and political authorities. But one of the most exciting of all is the final chapter, Acts chapter 28, and that's where we're going to be today, and I would invite you to turn there. Alex McFarland here along with Bert Harper, and this is the American Family Radio Network. The program is Exploring the Word, and then, of course, as always, later on in the program, we pick up the phones, and we want to hear from you with your Bible questions and that number that we'll get to. So you might want to write it down, and you can call in with a question, but it's 888 888- 589-8840, But first, we open up with uh, the scriptures from Acts 28. And Bert, it begins, it says, And when they were escaped, they knew that the island was called Melita. A word like escape. Now that tells me this is an action-packed uh, narrative, isn't it? It really is, and I guess one of the most unusual things is going to happen in a just a little bit here in this chapter. Uh, you know, Alex, I I do have a sense of humor. I t- find two kind of humorous things in the Book of Acts, and one of them is in chapter twenty-eight. The other one was, and it was it would not be humorous humorous if it had not ended the way it did. It ended good, and that was Eutychus, uh, you know, sitting up on the third floor in a window. And Paul was long-winded around midnight, and he fell asleep and fell. Now, again, yes. it's not funny that he died, but Paul raised him up from the dead. But uh, that's what long-winded preachers can do to people, put them to sleep. But the other one is here. They're gonna, Paul is going to go out and gather some wood to keep the fires going, and it's cold. And uh, he picks up a snake by mistake that's already kind of stiff. I forgot the exact word I I was reading about that today, how that could happen, and and he puts it on the fire, and all of a sudden that snake, because it's warmed up, it bites Paul. Now, what's happening is the natives gather round to watch Paul die, and he doesn't die, but it's like they're gathering around to watch him now again, uh, but he did not. So both of these times it had to do with death, but death was overcome in one place, and death did not occur in the other. But this is, again, a book of actions. And again, why would I say that? Luke gives details, Alex, that only someone who was probably there could fill in all those great points that he does. And that's what he does here in Acts 28. Notice it is we and us again. This is the fifth section in the book of Acts that's known as the we sections. In other words, Luke was with him, and he's here on this island with the Apostle Paul. 
Well, you know what's interesting, and, and let me read this, and this is uh, e- exciting stuff, it really is, and you know, there is, the, the island is called Melita, which is also Malta, and there was a city there called Melite, uh, M-E-L-I-T-E, the city of Melite, the island of Melita, and it's interesting, verse 2 says, and the barbarous people there, in other words, here's the shipwreck, 276 people are coming ashore. The barbarous people showed us no little kindness, for they kindled, kindled a fire and received us every one because of the present rain and because of the cold. So it's raining. I, I can picture people huddling together on a beach trying to get warm. Can't you can't you imagine that scenario, Bert? I believe it was happening. And the reason they're called barbarous or barbarians in Rome, and, and this is getting closer and closer to Rome, and Luke picks this up, and that's what they call them. Uh, if you were not part of the Roman Empire as such and come under the authority and and go with them, they were, everybody else was considered barbarians. Uh, it's not necessarily barbarians the way that we would ordinarily think of it, you know, like wild savage. No, they are not. So they're natives, but uh, since they don't have, quote, the Roman culture, uh, they're referred to as barbarians. I, I, I think that was important because these people, yes, they're, uh, they, they worship other gods. They do. But there, you see the kindness in their hearts, Alex, and so they're they're not that. Uh, the, they were people that cared for people, and yeah, and they, they demonstrated they, that, didn't they? Yeah, human compassion. I mean, it's really nice. But uh, while they previously didn't really know the true and living Savior, they're about to hear about him. It says when Paul had gathered a bunch of sticks and laid them on the fire, there came a viper out of the heat and fastened on his hands. And when the barbarians saw the venomous beast hang on his hand, they said among themselves, No doubt this man is a murderer, whom though he hath escaped the sea, yet vengeance suffereth not to live. And Paul shakes off this snake into the fire and felt no harm. Howbeit they looked when he should have swollen or fallen down dead suddenly. But after a while they looked a great while and saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds and said that he's a god. So, yeah, on the one hand, okay, he's going to die, obviously. He's a sinner. The snake bit him. Let's watch him die. But he doesn't die. He goes, well, he must be a god. And I can picture Paul saying, no, 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 just just listen. Uh, it's neither. I'm a saved sinner. I'm a saint, but I'm going to tell you about the Savior. But I've got to mention in verse 3 the word translated uh, viper because this very same word is used in Matthew 3, Matthew 12, Matthew 23, and Luke 3. Now, it can mean a poisonous snake, right? But it also, this very same word for a poisonous snake can be translated venomous blasphemy. Now, isn't that something? We think of a snake uh, biting somebody and injecting venom, and that can be uh, injurious, if not deadly. But you know what is also injurious and potentially deadly? Venomous blasphemy. Mm. Ephesians 4, we we know what it is to blaspheme the Lord. Uh, In Matthew and Luke, it can be translated cunning or malignant or wicked. 
Now, you know what a malignancy is. That's like a cancerous tumor or something like that. But, Bert, words can be malignant and and, and uh, venomous. And I don't know, you know, when we're trash-talking each other or tearing each other down, and um, we, we wouldn't dare speak ill of the Lord, but we ought not speak ill of each other. That's like venom too, isn't it? It really is, and it has gotten easier to do that because of social media. You know, uh, right, I right. mean, it is like, well, they don't know I got this name. They don't know me. I'm going to criticize who they are and say anything I want to concerning them. But you're still held accountable for it, even if it's not verbiage from your mouth. It is words from the keyboard. And so mm. I think you better be careful. Alex, verse 7. Now, in that region, there was an estate of the leading citizen of the island whose name was Publius who received us and entertained us courteously for three days. And it happened that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and dysentery. Paul went in to him, prayed, and he laid his hands on him and healed him. So when this was done, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were healed. They also honored us in many ways. And when we departed, they provided such things as were necessary." Again, I, I find these people very open, uh, very courteous, uh, very giving of themselves. And uh, again, he treated him kindly three days before the issue of healing came up for his dad, Alex. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Th- so these, you know, these are good people. Uh, they need the Lord. They're hearing about the Lord because you know uh, they're there for you know at least three months, and you know. Paul, every waking moment, is leading people to Christ. Um, But it says that they were very generous. They laded us with such things as were necessary. In other words, they gave us what we needed. And after three months, we departed in a ship of Alexandria, which had wintered in the isle, whose sign was Castor and Pollux. And landing at Syracuse, we tarried there three days. Um, By the way, the word Syracuse is like another... um, a word in the Bible, Rima, uh, and thence we fetched a compass and came to Regium, and after one day the south wind blew, and we came the next day to Putioli, which, again, I ask forgiveness about my probable mispronunciations of these these city names, where we found brethren. So isn't this amazing, Bird, in Acts twenty-eight fourteen? They, they come, and lo and behold, there are some believers in these regions. Isn't that something? It is. And when you get to that one that's spelled P-U-T-E-O-L-I, uh, it, it's beginning to sound Italian, you know, kind yeah. of. It really is. But these are important spots along the way. Again, they don't sell a long way. They're not trying to, to uh, go in sea. They're trying to get to land. Now, this ship that they figure is from Alexandrian ship, That's the same kind of ship that was shipwrecked. So this one made it into port without being shipwrecked. They probably got there early enough that the storms did not affect them as great as it did one that Paul. And so they got away, and they caught that same business or company, and it took them all to those places. And it says, after they found brethren, they invited to stay with them seven days. Now, again... I, I want you to know, and we talked about this yesterday about chapter 27 and all the details. Guess what? 
Luke keeps on giving the details in chapter 28. He stayed there three months, stayed there three days, stayed here seven days. And so we went toward Rome. Underline that in your mind. This is the final leg of the journey. It's been a difficult journey. It's been one that's filled with danger, one that's been filled with, uh, you know, so much possibilities of going wrong. But God was there all the time. Remember, he had already told Paul, he said, you're going to go to Rome. That was his desire. And sometimes, the and let me spiritualize here, Alex, sometimes the road to which God has his destination for you is a rough road. They're not all mm-hmm. smooth, are they? They're not. And let me encourage you to not be discouraged, even if you come up on some adversity, because uh, um, don't let some challenges make you think, well, I'm out of God's will or I heard God wrong. Um, oftentimes, adversity can draw us all the more closer to God. But this is Exploring the Word. We're in Acts chapter 28. We've got a brief break. Stay with us. Burton and Alex will come back with more of Acts 28, plus your calls and questions. Don't go away. They say it only takes a little faith to move a mountain. Well, good thing a little faith is all I have right now. Welcome back to Exploring the Word. And I want to just tell you, God will take you where you are and grow you. That little faith, it can be a great faith. And I pray that you have placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is by grace we're saved through faith, not of works. It is a gift of God. We can't boast about it. But because he has done that, Ephesians talks about we have become his workmanship created unto good works. So I pray that you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, that there's been a time in your life when Christ became real to you, You saw yourself as undone, hopelessly lost, unable to do anything to make yourself appealing to God enough that he would let you into heaven on your own merits, but that you would turn to Jesus Christ, confess your sin, ask him to forgive you, and ask him to be Lord of your life now and forever. If you've done that, I want to just tell you, you're on the greatest journey that's ever been, and speaking about a journey... This is Paul coming close to the destination that he had been wanting to come to for years and years and years. And it does say in Acts chapter 28, it says, and so we went toward Rome. That's in verse 14. And from there, when the brethren heard about us, they came to meet us. Now, Alex they, they heard Paul was coming, and they didn't wait around. They went to meet him. I think they were wanting to encourage Paul because it talks about him being encouraged. But I think they were needing to be encouraged by Paul's coming as well. Well, no doubt. This is, you know, it's uh, like the old saying goes, his rep- reputation preceded him. You know, again, more landmarks when uh, from thence, when the brethren heard of us, they came to meet us as far as, Appi or Api Forum, A-P-P-I-I, the three taverns, whom when Paul saw, he thanked God and took courage. And when we came to Rome, the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard. But Paul was allowed to dwell by himself with a soldier that kept him. You know, it's amazing how all these people, uh, 
all or close to all had been, you know, uh, preserved and kept together. Paul is again shown favor. He's apparently got at least some, you know, uh, better accommodations, we, we think, than a lot of the other people would have had. But there was a soldier. But let, let me just say this, this is minimal security rather than harsh, harsh maximum security, isn't it? It is. It seems like house arrest. Uh, yeah. That's what most of the commentaries that I read, and I've always thought that it, when you talk about the people that could come and go, and there were large groups that could come. If they were in a cell somewhere, you wouldn't get all these large groups, you know, but they would come to see him. But going back to verse 15, I, I just want to make sure. I, I think this is important. Paul thanked God and took courage. Uh, you know, this has been quite a delay. Uh, two years in Jerusalem, two years in Caesarea, uh, this boat ride, you know, the wreck, three months there at Malta, and again, he's finally there, and he is encouraged, Alex. Uh, you know, you, you said it as we were going out of that last uh, segment. We talked about some of the promises of God. You know, sometimes uh, those promises, uh, you have to, you have some turns and you have some difficulties and it's three steps forward and two steps backward but you keep going in that direction now here's the key to paul getting to rome he was always headed in that direction now i i think that's good for bert harper i hope it's good for everyone who is listening sometimes the difficulties do come but you set your face as a flint toward god to what he's called you to and it may be difficult and it may be hard, but he took courage when he came to that place. What a mm-hmm. great, uh, he thanked, again, notice what Luke says. He thanked God and took courage. Alex, a thankful heart. Well, all, is there ever, ever a time when a thankful heart is probably bad when you're in the Lord's business? Well, there's some things that you can't overdo. You can't be too grateful, and you can't trust God too much. You know, I was talking to somebody earlier this week about, um, you know, uh, trusting God and obeying God, and that, and you know, I'm just going to tell you. Somebody said to me, said, "Well, all the things you do, you know, you need to uh, do less and pray more." And I said, "Well, I understand what you're saying, but you know." God has already given us the green light on the Great Commission. So if, if, if we have an opportunity to uh, win souls and disciple people, you know, if all the details come together, I'm going to believe God is for it. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think anybody's going to get to heaven and get reprimanded for trusting Jesus too much. You, you know, Bert? Amen. But, Amen. But I love, um, you know, when... It says in verse 16 that Paul has his own dwelling and a soldier. Now, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but in verse 30, it says, And Paul dwelt two whole years in his own hired house and received all that came unto him. Isn't this amazing? Even though under, like you say, a type of house arrest, um, Paul is ministering to people that come to him. But um, let's go back to 17. It came to pass that after three days Paul called the chief of the Jews together, and when they were come together, he said unto them, Men and brethren, though I have committed nothing against the people or the customs of our fathers, 
Yet was I delivered prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans, and when they had examined and would have let me go, because there was no cause of death in me. But when the Jews spake against it, I was constrained to appeal to Caesar, not that I had ought to accuse my nation of, for this cause, therefore, have I called for you to see you and speak with you, because that, that for the hope of Israel I am bound with this chain. In other words, he's saying, look, even if it meant being in chains and arrested, falsely accused, for the hope of Israel, which is the gospel of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, he said, I'm willing to go through all this and do this to witness the gospel and that people would be saved. Now, that's commitment. It is, Alex. And notice, he does not lay a lot of things to those Jews charged that had caused this to happen. Uh, He's talking with the Jews, and so he's not trying to offend them. What does he do? His main idea, I want to connect with them. I am a Jew, but I haven't done anything that would deserve death. They found that out, and so he is setting himself up to be a good witness to them, to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And and so I, I find this interesting in verse 20, for I am bound with this chain, uh, something that was, you know, more important than this chain is is Paul's, he was bound to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Over in the book of Romans chapter 1 that he would write to the Roman church, he had wrote written to them earlier, he says, I am a debtor. He says, I owe this to you. And so this, you know, we have those that are incarcerated that listen to Exploring the Word. Many of them are listening right now. They're bound. But because of the freedom they found in Jesus Christ, Alex, there's freedom. And here's Paul, who is bound in this chain, but in reality, he is in freedom doing the will of God. Uh, I, I just, what a contrast, bound, but the gospel is being shared and he is doing that in his freedom, ability to do so in a rented house with people coming and going. What an opportunity he had, and he took advantage of it. Well, you know, we've talked about this, some of the paradox or the apparent paradox of Christianity. Uh, if you're bound to Christ, you, you are more free than the person who's unsaved, who thinks he can just do whatever he wants to do. Uh, you might not have a lot of money, but you're richer than the unsaved person that might have a seven-figure <laughs> stock portfolio. Hey, Alex, do you remember the song, The Happy Goodman? And I think I, I, it wasn't Rusty. It was one or the other. It, I may have been Rusty. He says, I'm a poor rich man. Uh, a poor, amen. Uh, yes. You know, and I remember that song as a kid, watching The Happy Goodman sing that. You know, I'm a poor rich man. And I thought, okay, uh, amen, I'm a follower of Christ. Uh, hey, I'm rich in Christ. And so Amen. those of you that are here listening and you've got financial problems, we know that's real. Alex and I, we've been there trusting God. And I just want to tell you, uh, in Christ, uh, man, our inheritance and our retirement, Alex, is out of this world, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, well, it, it really is. It really is. And what a blessing. You know, folks, wherever you are, uh, serve Jesus Christ. Uh, grow in your knowledge of your own spiritual gifts. Grow 
in the awareness of every day being an opportunity to do things that count for eternity. And see, one of the good things, look, Bert, one of the obsessions of our culture is youth, and everybody wants to beat the hands of time, which you just can't do. I mean, the sun rises and sets, days go by. There's nobody, I don't care how powerful you think you are, how much money you might have, nobody can beat the hands of time. Plus, there's there's a thing that pervades the reality of this world, and it's called the law of entropy. That's part of the curse that everything is running down. But, Bert, the way you beat time and aging and the passage of the years, here's how you do it. You mix into your temporal time eternity. How do you do that? There is one group in this world that is beating time, and it's not the people selling uh, face cream or anything like that. It's not Christians. Botox, huh? No. Not Botox. <laughs> I mean, it is, because, look, you you know the Lord, you discover your spiritual gifts, and you're involved in a local church, um, you grow in the way you minister to Christ, and you're leading people to the Lord, you're encouraging the body, you're giving glory to God, you're furthering His kingdom, you're going to be rewarded when you see Jesus. Every day, the Christian... Uh, whoever you are, young or old, fully healthy or partially infirm, we are dealing in the nuts and bolts of eternity. Now, let me go back to Acts 28, and we're going to, we're running out of time and uh, scripture here in the book of Acts. (laughs) So they say, look, uh, verse 21, um, we, there's no paperwork or any formal charges against you, but we want to hear what you think about this sect We know everywhere it is spoken against. And when they had appointed him a day, there came many to his lodging, coming to where Paul stays, to whom he expounded and testified the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus, both out of the law of Moses and out of the prophets from morning till evening. And some believed the things that were spoken, and some believed not. It's that way nowadays. Verse uh, 23, Bert, I would love to hear the Apostle Paul from Moses to Malachi. He is explaining how Jesus, yes, Jesus Christ, is the fulfillment of all the promises, and yes, indeed, he is the Messiah for all who would believe. Amen. It could not help but remind me of Jesus on the two, on the road to Emmaus. He opened the scriptures and did the same things, Alex. He showed himself. Here, Paul shows who Jesus Christ is. And there were those that believed. Those that did not believe, they purposely ignore truth. They purposely turned away. And it says in verse 25, so they did not agree among themselves. They departed after Paul had said one word. The Holy Spirit spoke rightly concerning this through Isaiah to our fathers. And he gives this scripture from Isaiah, and he reads it. Let me read it. Now I've got time. Go to this people and say, Hearing, you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing, you will see and not perceive. For the heart of this people has grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing. Their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their heart and turn, so that I should heal them. 
They willingly shut their uh, eyes. They willingly did not listen. They purposely would not understand. Therefore, let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will hear it. Now, Alex, again, we're coming close to the end, and here it is. Paul, he starts in Jerusalem, which is uh, it's Jewish territory. Uh, before Paul, there was Pentecost, Jewish area, but now from Jerusalem all the way to Rome. But now, what is Paul saying? I'm turning to the Gentiles. This is where God yes. is going to grow and it is going to multiply, and I, I will use the word, it's going to explode in Western Europe, isn't it? Mm, well, yeah, of course, and you know, you mentioned that um, back in verse 13, that Sicilian town, P-U-T-E-O-L-I, that is a, a Sicilian town, uh, Petulio, or however you pronounce it, it means sulfur wells, actually, but you're right, that uh, the gospel would go up into Europe, and just here we are today riding on the ripple effects of this. But it's interesting, when Paul says that the gospel is going to the Gentiles, verse 29, the Jews departed and had great reasoning among themselves. And, you know, that reasoning goes on to this day, and I, I really do think one of the most godly things that anybody can do, Jew or Gentile, is to pray for the, pray for the salvation of the precious Jewish people. And Paul dwelt two whole years in his own hired house and received all that came in unto him. And this may this be our the legacy for all of us. Verse 31, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no man forbidding him. Bert, I really think these 28 chapters of Acts represent some of the most exciting, significant, greatest greatest happenings in world history. I agree with you fully, completely. Those last words, some have said, an unhindered gospel. That's it. Jesus came in the fullness of time at the right time, called Paul, and now the Word of God has gone all over the Roman world. 888-589-8840. Give us a call. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. Well, Jesus Christ is the cornerstone for sure. He is the focal point of history. He is the one and only Savior, and we hope he's the foundation on which you have built your life as well. Alex McFarland, Bert Harper here. So glad you're listening. We're going to take phone calls. The number is 888-589-8840. And, um, hey, we, we'd love to hear from everybody, but if you've never called into the show before, if you've got a Bible question, how about being a first-time caller today on this edition of Exploring the Word? It would be a great time to do it. Lines are open. I want to make a statement real quick, Alex. You and I have not talked about tomorrow, but I want to ask you about this. We'll take care of business right on the radio before we go to William. But how about let's put together tomorrow what happened with Paul at the end of Acts uh, 28. Uh, there is all probability and likelihood he was released got to go to different places. Is that all right to do that tomorrow? This would be great for folks to tune in 
and see what God did with Paul after he was under this house arrest for two years. So well, uh, does that is sound this, all right with you? Would it be what Paul Harvey called the rest, the rest of the story? <laughs> that's it. So tomorrow, we do that? we'll do that tomorrow. So everybody, okay. you'll want to tune in tomorrow and tell others too. Let's go to Illinois and talk to William. William, thank you for calling today. Is this William from Illinois? Yes, sir. Thank you for calling, William. Okay, brother. Uh, good day to both of you. Uh, this subject of climate change uh, being excused by uh, power plants and uh, auto emissions. Uh, when we had excessive sin in Noah's time and Sodom and Gomorrah and uh, the ten plagues of Egypt, they did not have any power plants or automobiles. So God dealt with that definitely, the sin situation. And I think we need to look at that direction instead of worrying about power plants and automobiles because he still has control of this weather even when we get sinful. Preach Thank it, you, William. Dad, brothers. Preach it, William. Today, listen to this, William and Alex. I was reading, I was trying, I try to catch some of the headlines. I, again, my show is not a headline show, but I try to keep up with it so we can relate. But this has been the hottest summer since 1880. Well, I wonder what was happening in 1880. I wonder if they had the carbon emissions in, and I, I just wonder what all. It sounds like heat comes and goes, and then a cooler area comes and goes, now, we're not saying that it's not affected by what we do. We know it does because God gave instructions that we are to have dominion. That means we're to be stewards of God's creation that he's given us. But again, uh, don't this whole idea of control is the whole idea. We don't need to get on that. But I think William's right. We need to look at the moral character of what's going on more so than the, the climate change, Alex. Well, you, you know, when people don't have the true and living God, they really focus, and I would say they focus too much on humanity, uh, that we are our own God, we make our own moral boundaries, but also that human activity runs the universe, and it really doesn't. You're right. Uh, that's a great question, but what were they doing in the 1840s to make it so hot back then? Because it surely wasn't cars and power plants, but... Look, um, this is a subject that the Bible doesn't address overpopulation. The Bible doesn't address human-induced climate change. Uh, the Bible tells us what we need to know, but uh, I think those are among the topics that the Bible is silent on because they're not really relevant at all. I agree with you fully. Thank you, William, for calling in. Let's go to Texas. Karen, thank you for calling. Oh, thank you, guys. I love you all so much, and I just want to tell you how much I appreciate you because the more I study the Bible and the more questions I have, and <laughs> I, I seem to be a, a little OCD. Sometimes I get stuck on stuff, but um, I've just been reading back in Gen or I'm sorry, in Exodus, and um, with the issue with uh, Moses loading up, and, and and it specifically states, like in, I think it's Exodus 4, that he loaded his sons, which is plural, and I looked in all of my Bible translations, and they say sons, but then when he gets to, like, verse 24, I think, support, you know, I, I know, you know, 
guys what I'm talking about, and then she gets so mad, and I think that's related to the circumcision. But if he had two sons at that time, why was it the one son that was circumcised? Okay, you Does are that right. Make sense to y'all. Yeah, you're right, Karen. Thank you for thank you for listening, and thank you. You're talking to two guys that can kind of be OCD, whatever. Uh, I know we're hyperactive. That's the truth. We are. But listen, we would love uh, – Alex, go ahead with that. While I'm doing that, we've got lines open in that number, 888-589-8840. Alex, go ahead. Um, now, is this about when Moses and Zipporah are, are uh, traveling to Egypt and uh, Zipporah takes a, a, a stone, really, yes. and circumcises her son? That's exactly and, right. This is in Exodus chapter 4. This is kind of an interesting uh, passage. Um, here's the thing, uh, because in a way, well, it, circumcision is a symbol of the Abrahamic covenant. And according to Genesis 17, if a, child, if a male child is not circumcised, it means he is cut off from God's people. And Moses... They had this son that Moses had neglected to circumcise, and I don't know why he would neglect to do that, but it was almost as if he was, you know, kind of indicating that his family wasn't really belonging to God or God's covenant. So um, she says something that's just a to our modern ears kind of a bizarre statement. She says in Exodus four twenty five, "Surely you are a bridegroom of of blood to me." referring to this circumcision that she performs on her infant son. Um, in a way, Bert, doesn't she seem a little angry that she's doing something Moses should have done? I think it is true. And what she was uh, talking about, it says sons one time and son here. The other one he may have taken care of, and this one he did not. You know, it seems there. if that is the case— I think you have a little bit of an added anger there, Alex. You know, you catch what I'm saying? Similar yes. to what, you know, Isaac, uh, excuse me, Abraham and and Rebecca with uh, Isaac, and then Isaac, especially with Esau and Jacob preference. So uh, let me just say this, Karen. Uh, the explanation could be either uh, one had been, the other one had not. But it was important to do so, and Moses was neglectful for whatever reason, wasn't he, Alex? Well, he was, and, and the question really becomes, why is it singular and not plural? Um, and maybe her action with one son, because you would think sons, all kinds of sons, maybe, maybe she made enough of a gesture here that it got Moses back on track that he would have circumcised the, the rest of the sons. Yeah. It, it's one of those things we just don't know. But I want to tell you, the caller is very astute for having picked up on this. That's right. Um, and so God, that shows you uh, God can use those people that kind of get going over and over it in it and look at things. So, Karen, way to go. Uh, wait, wait, well, that. let me give the number again. It's 888-589-8840. Uh, and, Bert, can I share a question that's come in over Well, email? Becky's ready, so I've already got okay. her on. So would, okay. you, would you mind going ahead? 
No, let's do this. By the way, I'm looking right now at about 15 questions that have come in over email. Yeah. And if you ever do want to email a question in, we love it when people call in. But if you want to send one by email, you may reach us, word, W-O-R-D, word, at AFR.net, and it will get to us. Okay. Becky from Texas, thank you for holding. It's your turn, Becky. Hi, guys. Yes. Hey, guys. Thanks so much for your program. Um, my question, I've been reading through the one-year chronological study Bible that I started this year in January, and I started seeing these references to other books. Um, so like, for instance, in Second Kings, it'll talk about Manasseh, and it'll say, you know, the rest of the events of his reign can be found in the Book of the Kings of Israel, or it'll reference, like, the record of the seers, um, like in Second Kings, there's reference to the book of the history of the kings of Judah. Um, I'm, I'm curious, what are those referring to? Are those other books in the Bible? or? Okay, Becky, thank you. No, they kept other books that they had. God put the ones in that we have now. The only thing that you have is like First and Second Chronicles covering much of the same thing that Samuel, especially Second Samuel, First and Second uh, Kings covered, but the others, Alex, as I understand it, uh, they had different books that they kept records on. This is a government; mm-hmm. kings would keep records. They would keep journals, so they had those, but they were not necessarily put into the Bible. Go ahead. Well, you know the the Jewish people were a very literate people. Yeah, I mean they and they made records of their battles and goings and uh you know uh it's interesting in Esther chapter 2 it uh talks about uh recorded in the book of the chronicles in the presence of the kings and so um apparently some of these things were uh some of these Israeli records the book of the annals of the kings of Israel that are mentioned they were histories but they weren't canonical scripture. So, Bert, let, let me just say, when you read First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, um, they might seem just similar to uh, a historical record, but they, they were not mere history. They were God's Word, chosen by God's. Uh, I mean, chosen by God to be included ultimately in the Bible. And so there have been a lot of um, you know, chronologies and histories, but there's something more to First and Second Kings, the historical books of the Old Testament. They weren't just mere records, but they were divine scripture, weren't they? They were. And like in the book of Acts that we just finished, we find Luke including in that record of letters that was written by the church and the Roman government included in that because God wanted that included. And so God put in and took out what he wanted. Thank you, Becky. Great call. Let's go. Let's stay in Texas and go to Carol. Carol, welcome. Yes. Thank you for calling. Hello. Yes, you're on, Carol. Well, I'm sorry because I don't remember what my question is. (laughs) My memory, I'm having a problem. I'm 73. Oh, wow. Having a problem with my memory. I am so sorry. Well, <laughs> I'll have to write it down and call you back. Well, listen, it says struggling and needs some help. We know you don't know what you question, but we want to pray for you, Carol. Is that okay? 
I appreciate it, yes. Very uh, okay. Much. Thank you. Father, I pray that you would help Carol. And she said she is struggling with uh, remembering what she wanted to ask, and I pray you would help her, but I pray you would bless her, uh, 73 years old, and Father still sounds a lot. She's energetic and ready, and I pray she would serve you, and you would just bless her indeed. Uh, draw her to yourself, Father, that she might uh, follow you, seek you with all of her heart, and complete the task that you have for her in Jesus' name. Amen. We do Amen. thank you for calling, Carol. We really do. Let's go to Arkansas and talk to Jacob. Welcome, Jacob. Yes. Yeah. Um, I was just calling uh, just a minute ago, a few calls back, I think is the very first one or second one, but um, on the climate th change thing where uh, Alex made the comment about, you know, the Bible being silent, like on the population growth and all that. It's like, you know, really the Bible's not silent on it. I mean, it actually tells us that there is no way we're going to get overpopulation because one of the first commandments is be fruitful and multiply. And nowhere is there a place where God tells us that, okay, that's enough. I mean, so, you know, really we should be multiplying the earth a lot more than what we probably do. Go ahead, Amen. Alex. Good word. I, I agree. I, I agree. Um, and, and let me say this. Overpopulation is certainly not the problem, and human activity is not the problem. In fact, many sociologists are very concerned about the, the non-existent birth rate in the West. We've talked about this many times. Now, um, this book by, and there are many books I could name, but by David Goldberg, How Civilizations Die, came out about five years ago. And uh, Jordan Peterson has said this, I agree, we need to be having more babies, not less babies. But, but Bert, for the secular humanists, they don't like human activity because they don't like human beings. I mean, these are the same people, they want to make the world better by aborting babies. Um, they they want to make the world uh, happier by taking away all of our liberties and freedoms. And uh, so it really is the Christian worldview versus the secular humanist worldview. That's what's uh, the, the wrestling match going on here. And the lines of demarcation are clear. Identity, the idea of birth, life, the idea of marriage, the lines have been drawn. You need a biblical worldview. And Alex here on Exploring the Word, he and he, myself, we're determined to share with you the Word of God. So tomorrow, I hope you'll tell someone about it. We're going to have an interesting study about the Apostle Paul and what he did after the two years that he spent in house arrest in Rome. We know some of it. We may not know all of it, but we can discuss it, and I think it'll be a blessing. Alex, it's been good to go through the book of Acts, hasn't it? It really has. It's been a great blessing. And, folks, we hope it's been a blessing to you. We have got some exciting days planned for the rest of this year on Exploring the Word. So we hope you'll join us, not only for the rest of the year, but for tomorrow. So tell somebody about Exploring the Word, but tell everybody about Jesus. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.